Well, there are two different questions to answer on today's show for Oregon's defense. What do we expect and what do we need? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. So we're going to talk about defense today and get into a bevy of other mailbag questions. This one came in from Jonathan Spencer. Here's one of my mailbag questions for the week. I love the mindset, by the way. I'm sending you a question now. I got more coming later. I'm absolutely here for it. What are you expecting from this defense in 2023? You can see the physical difference in personnel from the spring game. I agree. We're bigger and faster and more physical. Those everydayers out there know that I feel that way about the defense as well. For us to reach our goals of winning the pack and a possible playoff or Rose Bowl bid, I think Oregon has to field a top 40 defense and be top three in the pack in TFLs. Interesting stats to pair together, but I respect it. Sacks, oh, and turnover margin. So tackle for loss, tackles for loss, sacks, and turnover margin. Be top three in the pack in those three things. What are your thoughts on this defense and its ceiling? Go Ducks. So I think on the ceiling front, you have to kind of wait and see a little bit more, right? Because they're going up against players and plays and schemes that they know very well. I think we'll have a better feel for what the ceiling will be once we see the Portland State game, right? Because I do think that that can be an indicator, even against an FCS opponent. Obviously, Texas Tech and Hawaii FBS programs in the Big 12 and Mountain West, respectively, will give you an even better idea. But if you go back to the Eastern Washington game a year ago, there were even little snippets. I mean, we allowed 14 points to an FCS program at Autzen Stadium. It's more than you'd like to have. You would love for that game to be a shutout. Now, at the end of the day, is it you know that consequential? No, of course not. Oregon won the game by a lot. But there were some moments where Eastern Washington didn't execute on third down when they could have, and they threw the ball kind of well and moved it a couple times, and then that ended up being indicative as the season went along. So I, I don't think we fully know the ceiling right now. We can you know, make prognostications, which is a big fancy word for predictions, about what the defense can be in 2023. But I like the other question, what do we need? And I think the framing of a top 40 defense is pretty darn good because if you go back and look at Oregon's defenses in the years where they've had their best teams, 2019 was a team led by their defense. 2014 was a team led by the offense, but had a really good defense as well, or at least had really good players in the defense had really great stretches. And those teams of course won the PAC 12 and got to uh, the college football playoff or the Rose Bowl, respectively, right? In 2010, much more offensively driven, of course, but the defense was uh, certainly far from a liability at times, particularly in the second half. A great stat would be how many points per game did the 2010 Oregon team allow in the second half versus the first half? It's a fascinating question, but there's a lot of room for improvement on, on this defense, and that's not just our eye test saying that. Here's where Oregon stood nationally a year ago. And think about where that had the Ducks in position one quarter of decent, not just not good, not great, not amazing. One quarter of decent football away. 
just a few plays away, frankly, from the Pac-12 championship game and in the running for a college football playoff all season long with a defense that ended the year ranked 71st in the country in yards per game allowed, 75th in points per game allowed, 79th in passing efficiency allowed, and in third down conversion percent defense, out of 131 teams, they were 123rd, which is a reflection of two things. Number one, how you performed on first and second down, and number two, the play calling and execution on third down just was not good enough. So there's a lot of room to grow, and those are the numbers that I'm really looking at when you're talking about improving. And I think all of them have, have a lot of room to grow. And I do expect them to grow, by the way. You know, I, I said that I don't feel like you can have a full, firm grasp on what the ceiling for the defense can be until you see them against other competition, most notably Texas Tech in week two. But in terms of what we need from them, this coming fall, if Oregon's going to get back to the Pac-12 championship game, if you look at those numbers, and say, okay, you're in the 70s to 80s range for a number of key defensive metrics, and you're almost last in the country in third down defense. If you take the defense from a season ago, which was, you know, overall, if you look at those first three numbers, about a top 75 or so defense in the country, which is not great. If you bump that up just to what Jonathan's suggestion is, which is, hey, I think it can be top 40. We're talking about sizable jumps in all of those categories, right? Not allowing allowing as many points, not allowing as many yards per game, not allowing as many passing yards in a league, by the way, that has some dynamite quarterbacks. And Oregon's going to see a lot of them this year, right? Our first conference game is against Shador Sanders. We have to play Cal as well. They've got Sam Jackson, who's more promising than what Cal's had in the past. Those aren't even the best options, but those are, you know, that those are the lower rated options uh, in terms of where they stand amongst other Pac-12 quarterbacks is really telling. Got to play Cam Rising again. You've got to play Caleb Williams. You've got to play Michael Penix. You've got DJ Uyunglele at Oregon State now. Cam Ward at Washington State. It's just a stacked quarterback league. But frankly, you know, given where the Ducks stood a year ago, I, I'd be happy if the defense was just top 50 in all three of those numbers, right? Passing yards allowed per game, total yards allowed per game, points allowed per game. So if they can do that in those three areas and also get, can can we get inside the top 75 or top 100 at least for, um, for third down defense? My goodness. 123rd out of 131. Yikes, that is not uh, that is not where you would like to be. And Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy, well aware of that, by the way. And hopefully they'll be able to be able to make some adjustments on that front. But I, I think a top 40 or just 50 defense is going to put Oregon in a great position to get to the Pac-12 championship game once again. Because if they were on the cusp of doing that with a defense that was, you know, close to 75th. In the country, that's where they at they were at in terms of points per game allowed. Just for reference, by the way, you had Oregon State, you had Utah, and there was one other Pac-12 team that were all, I think, inside the top 30 for total team defense. That's where those teams were at. Now, Oregon had a better offense than those teams, and I think they'll have a better offense than those teams again in 2023, which is a component, right? Because you, you, you can't... 
expect Oregon to have a top 20 offense and a top 20 defense, because if your offense is scoring a lot of points, that means you're probably scoring pretty quickly because you're explosive. You're getting up and down the field. So that puts your defense on the field more, giving them more opportunities to allow yards and points. And also they're not getting as long of a break before they go back onto the field. So you're trying to find the right complement of offense and and defense. And I think it should feel kind of 60-40, if that makes sense. Like 2019 was 60-40 defense. I think 2014 was 60-40 offense, maybe 70-30 in terms of what was the determining factor for Oregon winning games. And I think the defenses in, in the Ducks past have been better than we've often given them credit for. But like 2019 was a really, really good defense. I mean, there was a dominant defense. I'm pretty sure they allowed somewhere around like 20 points a game. They had Kayvon Thibodeau as a true freshman, nasty secondary and whatnot. You, you can't really, within reason, I, I think, especially in year two for Lanning and company, ask for a top 20 offense and defense. But can you say, hey, a top 20 offense and a top 40 or just like 50 defense even? But I, I like the 40 number. Getting inside 30 would be great as well. I think that sets up Oregon really well to get back to the Pac-12 championship game and have an opportunity to win the conference, maybe even get to the college football playoff if the offense is able to replicate its production from a season ago. But that was a great, great question. And guess what? There are many more, including an area of concern that I share with an everydayers question, which I'll get to here on the show. And another concern that I share is that some of you haven't gone out and bought Built Bars yet, which is just mind-boggling. It boggles the mind. It's like that game where you press the little plastic top thingy and then the dice shake inside. I, I, the game might be called Boggle. I don't remember. But that's what it does to my brain when I think about the fact that some of you haven't bought healthy but tasty treats. They're the best protein bars ever. I literally had one earlier today on the golf course. You know why? I was hungry and I needed something to keep me going. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate, great taste, great flavors, 17 grams of protein, only four grams of sugar. It's truly remarkable. My mom even asked me one time, when I say, yeah, well, I've always got built bars. She goes, yeah, but aren't those just loaded with sugar? Uh, no, they most definitely are not. And they've got a bunch of protein in them too. You can get yours at built.com. You can find specialty flavors there or go to Walmart, go to the pharmacy section, get a box of four of cookies and cream, or you can get a 13 bar box. If you go to Sam's club, Walmart, Sam's club, built.com, always to get your neck, all ways to get your next order of built bars they're healthy and they taste delicious you can thank me later once you do so march madness is right around the corner if you want to win your office pool you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the locked on college basketball podcast every monday andy Patton and isaac shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball keep you up to date on the ncaa tournament bubble and get you ready for the upcoming week of games from the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, now I've refreshed my voice and we're ready to keep on rolling. My man Blazer Duck is an everydayer out there. And I very much appreciate all of you who tune into the show regularly. And remember, 
whether you're a first-time listener or you're an everydayer, you can comment in the YouTube section. You can hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. Send me your mailbags from now until September 2nd and beyond like Buzz Lightyear. And we'll just keep answering the questions here on the show. I love answering you guys' questions. You have great cues, makes me do research, makes me think. And I absolutely love, love, love it. And I love that you all get to be a part of the show as well. So Blazer Duck asks, Spencer, I'm really concerned about the backup quarterback position, and I'm going to tie this into the defense here momentarily. While Ty Thompson showed that he was able to string a few consecutive passes together, it's a far cry from increasing my confidence in his ability to move the ball down the field consistently against Pac-12 teams to help us win games if he's thrown into action. I agree. What do you believe is the biggest thing holding him back? First half of spring game, he looked like the same old Ty. Second half, it looked like his confidence improved. I think it's two parts. One, a confidence issue. Two, whatever the play is, he locks in on his first target, and that's it. I don't see him turning his head and going through his progression. Curious of your observations. Thanks. So on the confidence front for Ty Thompson, what you alluded to there, my man, Blazer Duck, those are part, those are two sides of the same coin. If you don't have a sufficient level of confidence and command, which build up off of one another running fence as a quarterback you're going to have a tendency to lock onto your first read if you watch any high school football you see this a lot where high school kids who haven't played a quarterback maybe don't understand understand the position super well they don't go through progressions because they don't have confidence in their offensive line and they don't have confidence in their ability to come off of one read and dissect a defense so they know what a play is and what everybody's doing before the ball is snapped but then they're trying to read the defense and say, okay, I know that this guy is running this concept, right? I've got a clear dig on my right-hand side where the slot is just you know, clearing out the zone, and then I've got a 15-yard dig coming in behind it. And all I have to do is look to see whether or not the linebacker sinks and runs with the receiver to create a void, or, or maybe it's a nickelback over there, or if they're in man-to-man coverage and I need to you know, maybe throw it over the top if there's no safety help, or if I'm just going to take off and run if there's an alleyway, right? They take things very, very simple for themselves because they don't have the confidence that they need. I do think Ty Thompson has a confidence issue, but I, I really think overall it, it's just a command issue of, of the offense, of the position of quarterback. It's more than just being able to throw the football. You you have to, you know, everything that I just laid out is just a snippet of what a quarterback has to be able to dissect on any given passing play, right? You don't just have to understand the playbook and know what everybody is doing on every play. You have to know what audibles can come out of that formation, what protection you need to get in, communicate with your offensive line, and understand what the check within uh, the offense and what sort of things you need to be looking for and whether or not, you know, you should be having a dummy snap count and go back to the sideline or whatever the case may be. There's a million different things that go into playing the quarterback position. And for whatever reason, I don't think we can really explain it at this point in time because Ty is now in his third year of college football. It still looks like he just can't do that consistently and hasn't been able to. And so I'm also concerned about the backpack position. Like, if, if you told me right now that Bo Nix, God forbid, has a season-ending injury and Ty Thompson is thrust into the starting role, we are now entirely relying on the defense. And this is why it is important to be able to play complementary football. So take the Utah game last year, for instance. We all thought Ty Thompson 
Remember the Chris Hudson comments debacle? That was fun. We all thought Ty Thompson was maybe going to play. I talked about that week on the show, what we would need from him in order to win the game. Now, Bo Nix played very well. He was hobbled. He couldn't move, but he was out there fighting through it, and he got it done. He was far from perfect in the game. The offense only put up 20 points, and the defense kind of carried Oregon to a win. And the reason you have to be able to play complimentary football is because sometimes you're going to need those games, whether it's Bonix having an off game, Bonix being injured, or you know whatever the case may be. Maybe the offense is just not clicking for, for some reason in that particular day. You don't want to be entirely reliant on one side of the football. So if Oregon can put together a defense the way they're capable of and get to a point where the defense can consistently put up performances like that, where you know the offense is scoring points, but you just feel confident in the defense, Defense's ability to get stops and keep them out of the end zone, that is a tremendous boon to your football team. Because if Ty Thompson were to have to start, you'd like to be able, you know, say Bonex has to miss one start with, with an injury at some point this year, which happens all the time in college football, right? Go back to like, uh, you know, Brian Bennett made some starts for Darren Thomas or trying to think of other instances. Vernon Adams got hurt in 2015. Oregon had a bad backup quarterback situation with Jeff Lockie and Taylor Alley. They were kind of going back and forth. They weren't producing a lot and Oregon didn't have the team to be able to succeed, right? When when Vernon Adams wasn't there. That's kind of how it feels with this team. It's even a transfer quarterback as well as as Vernon Adams was. So I think the, the the defensive growth that we've been talking about here on the show for uh, the last several months at this point, and we'll continue to discuss as time goes on, I think that's a reason that it's extra essential for the Ducks because they can't afford to have anything Bo Nix playing a high level of football there right a season ago, but for one game. And I think you, you increase the likelihood that you can win more games than just nine in the regular season as they did this year if you're able to play a greater brand of complementary football as opposed to just being reliant on, on the offense all the time. So, you know, I, I think for Ty, it, it's just not clicking for him mentally. He, he just it is not, he doesn't look super comfortable back there in the pocket. You know, he, he's a big guy. He's pretty athletic. He's got a huge arm, but for whatever reason, maybe it's uh, the revolving door of offensive coordinators. He's had three of them now, Joe Moorhead, Kenny Dillingham, and now Will Stein. Maybe Stein will be able to connect and click with him and make him the best version of himself. That's going to be more of a next offseason question because we know that Bo is a starter going into this fall. But I, I really, I really think it's hard to judge. You know, for some kids, for some guys, it clicks and you can make the jump. And for some guys, it just doesn't. And and so far for Ty, it hasn't. Maybe he's a late bloomer. You know, I'm a Seattle Mariners fan. I was at the game earlier today, actually. And you know, Jared Kelnick has become a good hitter for the Mariners. He was traded for uh, a few years ago when we gave up Robinson Cano, started the rebuild, and he was supposed to be a big-time prospect. He was the top prospect in the Mets organization, and it was seen as a steal that we got him. And Kelnick, for the first two years that he played baseball in Seattle, was not just a bad player. He or he just he he wasn't just a guy who wasn't living up to the hype. He was a really bad baseball player particularly hitting his glove has always been pretty good he's been really really bad and now all of a sudden this year out of the blue it's just clicked for him and he's hitting like 280 he's got power he's hitting to all parts of the field he's everything we thought he would be 
it took him way longer than a different prospect, for instance, the Mariners' own Julio Rodriguez, who came in as a rookie, one rookie of the year. We extended him to a huge contract. And I mean, he started hitting basically right away. Took him a few weeks once he was in the majors last year, but he had an incredible rookie season. So for some guys, it just takes longer. And the holdout of hope that I've got for Ty Thompson is that it's just going to take him longer, but I'm not, you know, putting all my, my hopes and, you know, future aspirations for Oregon's quarterback position on Ty Thompson. Cause you know, here we are in year three and it looks pretty similar to what we saw in, in year one. So it kind of seems like that's just uh, what he is, but uh, again, a great question. And we are still not done. Don't know why I'm so thirsty today. Sometimes it just happens. Maybe too much yelling at the Mariner game. They won. Five nothing. Nice little sweat-free victory for the Ems. All right. This one from Tanya. We're going back in time for this question. Hey, Spencer, in all your years of being a Duck fan, of which has been most of my life, what is the one game you wish you could change the outcome of and should be a realistic one, not one where we got blown out, just one where the outcome could have changed on a play or two. Mine would be the 2018 OT loss to Stanford. Is that one hurt the soul? Yeah, that one's in there. If if I had to choose any game here, Tanya, I'm I'm going with the Michael Dyer game because that might have, you know, resulted in Oregon winning a national championship. If I had any game, if you're talking regular season here, I think a lot of people, because of recency bias, are going to jump to the Oregon State-Washington games from this past season. But I'd have a coin flip if you're going any regular season game, right? Any game ever, it would be Auburn 2011. And I don't think that's particularly close. Because it's the closest Oregon has come to winning a national championship. Closer than they did with with Mariota, by the way. Because that team got to the natty and, look, it was a competitive game. But then Ohio State ultimately pulled away. Ohio State was the better team. Ohio State was better coached. They were more prepared. Like, or Oregon was not going to win that game. But Oregon could have won that Auburn game. Like, they were outmatched, but they were in the game because Chip was brilliant. And, and was just absolutely, and Aliotti was fantastic as well. But if you're talking regular season, I, I would have a coin flip between two games, and they both kept Oregon out of the national championship in all likelihood. 2011 USC, where they fell behind, what was it 28 to seven or whatever, came all the way back. Maldonado, 30, it was an eight yard field goal or so for the win, 42 yards, whatever it was, and he pulls it to the left. That would be one. Um, after that season opening loss to LSU. Oregon was in the national championship picture, probably gets there again. If Maldonado makes that kick, you go to overtime, win the game. So that'd be one. And then the the next year, same thing. Oregon probably goes to the national championship game with a redshirt freshman Mariota and Chip Kelly and Kenyon Barner. If we get a blow on the sideline from DeAnthony Thomas against Stanford, or if Zach Ertz is ruled out, but that game again, miss field goal from, um, from Maldonado in, in overtime, that was pretty sure Maldonado missed that field goal as well. Um, that was tough. So th- those games, those are the ones that sting the most. 2018 OT Stanford, by the way, I felt like kind of emotionally derailed that season for the Ducks. Um, so I, I agree that that was brutal. And that was just a 
brutal. And all three of those games happen at Austin Stadium too. That's the that's the tough part about them. But uh, yeah, I, I'd go regular season, uh, 2011 USC or 2012 Stanford. Any game ever, uh, national championship. Dyer was down. Uh, Bud asks this question to uh, end the show. This is very polite, by the way. I appreciate that. Bud is an everydayer out there, uh, by the way, because he tunes in every single day that I can tell and interacts with me all the time. You can always hit me up on Twitter. Just shoot me a message if you just want to say, hey, I love the show, or hey, I think you're a doofus. Like, you do whatever you want. At Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. You won't hurt my feelings. Uh, or hop in the YouTube comments as well. Bud asks, what therapy would you recommend for those going through withdrawal every Saturday and Sunday morning due to the absence of new Locked On episodes? I've I've got a solution for you, Bud, who I think tunes into Locked On Pac-12, which I host as well. I've got a solution. Are you ready? Go play golf. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.